Hello. How do you do? Welcome to California PC 187, the podcast. 187 is the penal code in California for homicide. Brett, Cheryl and we focus on murders that have taken place primarily in Los Angeles County. Some of the details might be grimy and disturbing. Brett and Cheryl sometimes use potty mouth words and Dutch occasionally barks. Listener discretion is advised. Murder! Murder, murder, murder. You got away with murder. You got away with a lie. National Homeless Persons Memorial Day, HPMD, commemorated annually since 1990 on or about December 21st, the first day of winter and longest night of the year, communities across the country come together to remember those who have died without stable housing, to reflect on the shocking inhumanity of homelessness, and to call for meaningful policy changes to ensure that no life is lived or lost in homelessness. Each HPMD event is unique to its community but the commemorations often include reading of names, candles, prayers, personal remembrances, marches, and moments of silence. Hi. This is Brett. This is Cheryl. And this is California PC 187. The podcast. Season 2. Murder. We've been on a hiatus. Yes. We've been doing the pandemic. Thing doing the pandemic, staying healthy and taking care of business. Yes, and um, so tonight, last episode was about a, a homeless homeless people that were being murdered, yeah. homeless men. Tonight is another homeless man, uh, murder man story in Los Angeles. Um, and it's not going to become a trend here. This isn't going to become a podcast about homeless people. No. <laughs> we are, we're homeless pretty much. We are location independent because we travel a lot. We move around and we work no, in the car. Be- but homeless men that are sleeping on the streets, that are in camps, that are dirty, men, women, children, all that stuff, they live in the congregated area. They seem to be getting perpetrated on. Yeah, they do. Just tonight in San Pedro, where we usually stay, we're in Hollywood tonight, um... Somebody or some person or persons came up on a, a homeless encampment on Beacon Street and shot four people that they know of, hopefully not fatally. Yeah, for sure. I, I just can't wrap my mind around it because I don't understand how someone with a, a firearm is going to go to a homeless camp where people have nothing. They're not going to rob them. They're just going to start shooting them. I'm trying to think maybe it's... a. Um, it's an anger management tool or something. I mean, go pick on a homeless man or women because the percentage of people that pick on homeless men or kill them or violence towards them are young, between the ages of 25. No, between the ages of like 15 and 25. 15 and 25. That's kind of raw to me to think about the youngsters. But 
anyway, there's a big, like, people just basically, you know, have a, they want to pick on the weak and the most vulnerable people in life, children, animals, old people, um, people that are unhoused, you know, makes them feel better about themselves. Right. And they also, like in the case that we're going to talk about tonight, they might um, think that they're clever and put an insurance policy out on somebody that is a homeless, homeless uh, and or homeless and substance abusing, homeless, homeless and alcoholic, and um, kill that person or help them drink themselves to death and then collect on the money. Yeah, I guess if you're going to do something like that, you might as well just assume that you're doing something beneficially to the human race, like taking someone that everybody hates out of the equation. But I don't really hate homeless people. Well, why would you? Yeah, I don't don't see doing that for somebody. It's just not my style. No. Okay. Um, Where are my reading glasses? My word. You know what, Brett? I'm dying for a cigarette. Um, the term homelessness was first used in the United States in the 1870s to describe traveling slash transient men who traveled across the country in search of odd jobs. They often traveled illegally in a boxcar to get from one state to another. They were restless wanderers, gypsy types, vagabonds who did not desire the stability of a home and a community. I think you made a lot of sense when you said that a lot of them were probably Civil War veterans. Like, displaced, you know? Yeah, the hobo. No, yeah. Yeah, that's where the word hobo came in. Well, some of the men might have had a debilitating dependence upon alcohol uh, or perhaps other harmful drugs. The majority of traveling tramps were born to ramble along, work at odd jobs, to be self-supporting through their own contributions, and caused no harm to others. Right, they traveled with their own tools, and they went where the uh, farms went to give work. They just couldn't stay in one place. Right. Well, PTSD. they didn't mean any harm. Yeah, PTSD, right? Right, from the Civil War. I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. Untreated PTSD. Absolutely. Right. Well, so many of them, um, most of them didn't mean to cause harm to, to other people, but they probably did cause harm to their wives, children, parents... Sisters, brothers, yeah, anybody that loved them, cared for them, wondered where they'd gone. Um, Loners and wanderers with ambition, wait, with no ambition, who estranged themselves from community, family, and stability, were seen by the Christian, puritanical, like, moral majority. Right, the foundation of America was the basic uh, Christian faith, belief, a family, you know, support, help. Yeah, as um, they saw the hobo life as being a blatant rejection. Threat. Defiance and chicken shit way of dropping out of society to escape the responsibilities of manhood. Plus they had the stigma that they were going around on these, uh, you know, these railroads at the time was the state of the art, and then they were doing it for free. God, it's the thieves that they were... Well, I guess it's stealing transportation. Religious leaders were especially angry and appalled by hoboism, but you know, it had to be discovered and then um, deemed a a theft. 
It, so when they first started doing it, it wasn't illegal. No, it wasn't. It was just a bunch of Civil War veterans that needed just couldn't sit still. They needed a ride. Right. Um, <laughs> misunderstood. Religious leaders were especially angry and appalled by hoboism, dereliction, and a lack of housing as the work of the devil and a breaking down of the great American institution. Yeah, the hobo. Yes. Man with a stick and a little bun at the end of it. So, while well, growing up in Northern California, Kenneth McDavid, uh, he... He aspired to someday move to Hollywood, California, which is where we are now, and become an Oscar award-winning screenwriter like his idol, Sylvester Stallone. Hollywood. Ken was a great guy, according to his sister Sharon, and an excellent student. Ken believed that his talent for writing was better than enough to make his Hollywood dreams come true. Yeah, well, his other brother, he was a, like, he did a lot of poems, and he took his poems, and he would change them into screenplays. Oh, yeah, we did. We right. watched... Uh, 48 hours right. on this case, and his other brother said that... Um, you got a talent. You got a knack, buddy. Yeah, basically that Ken was a better writer than him, right. and he fancied himself a good writer. Yeah. Nobody knew... Um, oh, nobody that knew him doubted Ken's ability to realize his dreams. Ken graduated from Sacramento High School. He also went to Sacramento State College for a little bit, mm -hmm. and then he headed to Hollywood, California. But his only person that didn't really think believe in him was his father. He didn't think he was really going to be a go to Hollywood, make it big, and be rich and uh, be famous. He didn't really believe in him. That I think it. you're thinking about Will Cobra. You're mixing up. Mm -hmm. You know, you're mixing things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to call home and, and to tell all his family he was successful, but his dad is what he really wanted to prove to him. I don't remember that mm -hmm. part of the... Uh -huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Ken... Uh, wait, uh, let's see. Decades later, June 21st, 2005, Ken McDavid's 50-year-old alcohol and weathered body was found lifeless and alone. His bones crushed, a tire track stain... Uh, was across his dirty, long sleeve shirt. He was homeless and unknown. The screenwriter? The screenplay writer? The guy that aspired to be a screenwriter. Wow. His about? bicycle and helmet lay next to him in the dark alley behind the Bristol Farms grocery store. Ken had found a cut in the landscape to safely rest his head each night. He lived in the alley? Freddie's fucking homeless. Wow. He did not, he, he for whatever reason, he came to Hollywood and he, he didn't make didn't it make as it, huh? a screenwriter. They just walked all over him. Well, they rode all, drove all over him. That wasn't funny. No, it wasn't. But okay. You gonna tell us the story? Yeah, Brad. Don't. I feel like stopping right now. They what? drove all over him. Well, they walked over him. I just it was that. It was that was not cool. Yuram Hassad was playing backgammon with his friends, Masood. Califian and Beirouz Havram at Califian's Furniture Store on Westwood Boulevard near Santa Monica Boulevard in Westwood. His car was parked in the alley behind the store. When the gathering broke up at approximately midnight, Hasid walked back, he walked, you know, into the alley and he saw something that looked a little bit odd. And when he got closer to it, he noticed that it was a body. body, but wow. he wasn't sure if the body was dead or not, so he ran back in and got his friends, and they all came out and uh, viewed it, and they immediately called 911. Right. Um, 
The operator suggested they honk the horn to see if the person responded. So, I guess they were honking the horn. They Then he didn't move. Yeah. Have okay. I mean if look at if I was if I was if I were totally passed out drunk like like a hangover like 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 blackout drunk style right. and someone honks their motherfucking horn in my face, mm, I, right. I wouldn't wake up. Mm, yeah, it depends. Yeah, I probably wouldn't either. Uh have him if I was dead, I mean I wouldn't wake up alive, Brad. I don't know. That's a, that's a hard one because if I'm a horn right by your head, it would seem like you would wake up. I don't know. Brad, a train could drive through my... Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, Havram got out of his vehicle and, ex- and inspected the body. He noticed that the victim's face was dirty and there was blood on the ground. Oh. Paramedics and police were sent to the scene. So, there was video from two different stores, from a copy store and from a market, probably Bristol Farms. CCTV. That showed a, a, st- a car that looked kind of like either a silver Ford Taurus or a uh, Mercury Sable. They, could, they couldn't quite make it out. Right. They couldn't make out the driver's license or the license plate. The death car. Um, they saw it make a left turn into the alley at approximately 11.45 p.m. This, the car stopped and backed up some distance before driving out of the alley. Hmm. After the vehicle stopped in the in the alley 15 feet before it reached the location where McDavid was initially struck, the headlights went out, and the body was found 10 feet further down the alley. So it was kind of drug. So the car didn't really drive fast through the alley? and what? No, it didn't just, like, it didn't, like, accidentally... Um, hit him hmm. I mean it, it kind of like slowly wow you think the car was slow motion or what was the deal with that you think if he get hit I mean I think about him getting hit in the alley I think about you know 80 miles an hour hit flying up in the air shoes he dies whatever okay well so the police um investigated obviously and they they deemed that it was not a typical hit and run accident there was no glass debris around the victim hmm as would typically be the case when a person is struck by the car, nor were there any signs of damage to the bicycle. So he mm. wasn't, like, riding his bicycle. Right. Although the front wheel had been removed and was lying beneath the bicycle. So that's kind of weird. There was no damage or scrapes to the bike helmet, and uh, there was no indication that it had been invo- involved in a traffic accident. Like, he hadn't been accidentally hit, you know what I mean? Wow, so it's foul play. Uh... Something's foul. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Deputy Medical Examiner Solomon Riley concluded that McDavid's death was caused by multiple blunt force trauma to his upper body. His chest and shoulders had been crushed. He was beaten to death or what? Uh, He might have been hit in the head. He had also suffered abrasions on two parallel tracks across his body. Ran over. A toxicology analysis showed the presence of alcohol along with sedatives what? in his blood. He tested positive for alcohol at 0.08 grams. That's not even that much. No, a couple of That's legal. That's yeah, a legal point, limit, right? 0.8, yeah, 0.8 was like... No, that's when you get a DUI. Well, I mean, 0.8 is, yeah, you could be But yeah, still, if he was an alcoholic... Right, I'm thinking 2.5. That, did, that didn't do yeah. shit to him. Doubt it. <laughs> but he also had a high level of Ambien. Oh, at yeah. 0.13. He, he didn't stay enough, and he couldn't stay awake at all. I'm not going to have to drink that much. There was also Vicodin. Oh, yeah, he was, yeah. At 0.9. He could have done a fucking Mexican hat dance on him. He would. And been, there was right. also an, a 
drug used for epilepsy called Topamax. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was a... Hey, the cocktail. He had a cocktail of uh, narcotics. Yes. He was so, nothing. Uh, so this didn't... So they, they were like, who, you know, but who could have killed this? Like, who would have wanted this guy dead? You uh, know what I mean? Like, that's so crazy. Failing screenwriter that hasn't made it yet. Was homeless, I guess. He was homeless and he was drinking alcohol. That's crazy. Sad. Right. It is totally sad. Right. So, uh, what happened was, is that first of all, one of the detectives that was on the scene, he had mentioned something, Detective Brent Johnson, he he mentioned it to another detective who a couple years earlier had been the lead detective in a similar case. And so they were like kind of, hmm, you know, because it appeared as though the body had been run over very slowly. Like, um, like that's creepy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I just said the video. Like, said it took it a long slow. time for, like, the tire to go up and over the body. Yeah. You know, and then... Maybe the person wouldn't see very well driving in. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So what happened was is that a man from a life insurance uh, place called uh -huh. Global Life Insurance Company and uh, came out to California because he also recognized that this case was very, that, you know, there was insurance, there was life insurance policies put out on McDavid, okay? And he recognized that, that you know, years earlier, there had been a similar incident no. where the same two women's names oh, were on right. this one man's life insurance policy. And so he came out. Ooh, I see what you're saying. Where are you going now? Yes. Okay, was a little cooking is making something going on with this insurance thing and homeless people. Yes. So who called? I mean, we're thinking who called? He gets hit. We investigate next day. All of a sudden, an insurance policy man shows up. No, the, the insurance. He didn't show up the next day. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking. You know, the whole thing is like you know. But he showed up. You know. Yeah, something's foul. Yes. Obviously, he didn't call his insurance company. You know. Yes. Yeah. So. Hmm. Looks like we might have something going on. So, uh, the police were, you know, they were, like, obsessed, kind of, like, with the detectives were obsessed with this vehicle. Yeah. Like so, um, not only was, the, you know, was the insurance policy thing uh, tripping them out a little bit. Yeah, they didn't want to pay. But also, uh, they were able to contact the, um, oh, what do you call it? They were able to contact the... Uh, the benefactors? No. The benefactors? <laughs> no, the... The culprits? Uh, the AAA. Oh, AAA. Oh, I was way off. Yeah, AAA. Oh, AAA. What does AAA have to do with it? What do they do? They run somebody over to? No. What? AAA. They've been around for a long time, huh? Okay, according to records from the Automobile Club of America, AAA, uh -huh. uh, there was a towing request made at 11.51 p.m. on... The night of June twenty first, two thousand five, mm -hmm. for a silver sable. Yeah. So the police were very interested in this. Yeah. At twelve thirty a.m., Brent Air Towing responded to the call at a Chevron gas station yeah. on the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and Westwood Boulevard. So it's right around the corner from the alley yeah. in which McDavid was found. Mm -hmm. And the car was towed to a Santa Monica location. It was abandoned there, and mm -hmm. it was. Um, 
it, dents, dents on it? They had blood on it? What was going on? Was going on okay, it? so it was abandoned there. Right. And then it was put up for auction, and a family bought it. And then the police hunted it down, and they bought it back from the, you know, they compensated the family monetarily mm-hmm. for the car that because they needed to take it into custody or, or as is as evidence. You need to brush it down for fingerprints and all that yes. stuff. Huh? A post arrest or a post inspect okay, so a freaking when they when they looked at the freaking the Mercury sable, it showed red paint on the left front of the wheel. Yeah. The sable's fuel line had been illegally repaired by affixing a hose clamp. Right. A broken fuel line will cause the car's engine to stop. Yeah. Testing was done to show that the sable would be able to coast down the alley to the Chevron station without use of its engine. Additionally, DNA evidence was collected from the sable's undercarriage, including samples of presumptive blood, biological tissue, and hair. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a death card. Criminalist Stephanie McLean found the three samples matched McDavid's DNA. Yep, there it is. Got their, they got their weapon, their murder weapon. The smoking gun, huh? Yes. So, well, so that was... Because, so... Like I told you about this insurance agent. So that all leads back to two women, two very old women. One one woman's name is Helen Galay. Mm-hmm. She was originally from Texas, and she moved out to yes. California. And she was married for some time. She had, I think, three daughters. And she... Um, she got divorced, and then she became a real estate agent, a very successful one. Uh-huh. She bought up a bunch of property in, you know, the, the Los Angeles, Santa Monica area. Right. The home that she lived in herself was worth $1.8 million. Wow. Yes. And um, she was the person who actually called AAA and had, had them towed, and she drove in the, in the little truck with the man. I guess he took her home. Oh, so she may have been a little bit tipsy, and she ran somebody over, didn't know it, and shot the shot. Maybe shot, she thought she had a dog. They weren't sure. They didn't know. Yeah. They were kind of putting it, piecing this all together. They weren't going to tell on themselves, though, because they just really didn't know what was going on. Well, they said that she was a saber, an elderly female, and that he towed her to, you know, near a location, towed her to a place near her Ocean Boulevard home, and you and I have driven up Ocean Boulevard. We've mm-hmm. delivered food there. Nice. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Money. Yes, and then you go a little bit further into the hills, and it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Pacific Palisades, ballers. So then, so detectives and the insurance agent are talking, and they realize, okay, so Helen Goulet is one of the beneficiaries of the life insurance policies. And, you know, from the earlier death, the one previous years earlier, and then there was also a co a life insurance beneficiary, and her name was Olga Rudderschmidt. Olga. Olga Rudderschmidt was 75. Wow. She was from Hungary, and I think she had moved out here in 1956. She and her husband, she got married, and they owned a little coffee shop. I don't know. They got divorced, and she was, she was kind of haggard looking, not in any way whatsoever, like, you know, um, uh, like, she she didn't have that like je ne sais quoi kind of look. She didn't. 
She was on the boat and on the ridge all the time. She wasn't looking pretty like freaking like the old 78-year-old yeah, Helen Goulet was. Country, man. She made it over here on a freaking donkey. She looked like someone that wore house coats and yeah. stuff. But she did have kind of like, a, you know, an will. ego. And she liked um, like low self-esteem and a big ego, like delusions of grandeur. She like, what, what attracted these two women to each other to become friends to begin with was that like they like to both go to... Um, really fancy places where rich, 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 like billionaire, the Ritz Carlton, gajillionaire people live, right? Are you know hung out? They like to go to fancy um, gyms, right? And they worked out. No, they like to just sit around and drink oh, yeah. coffee or iced tea and act like they belonged there. Yeah. You know, they dress all fancy. I can't imagine Olga Rudderschmidt. Dan, uh, well. Helen probably had real Louis Vuitton. But That's right. Helen probably had real Louis Vuitton. In but Olga, Olga probably, probably had, had a swap me Louis. Louis yeah, yeah. yeah. So. If that. But one day they were at this. Um, herself. Like at the Hollywood. Uh, Bowl. No, the Hollywood gym or something like yeah. that. Valleys. And um, they made eye contact and they recognized each other as being kindred spirits. Oh, like Beverly Hills racquetball club. No, like just common thieves. Oh, thugs, straight, straight little mini belly. grandma oh, criminals. Oh, yeah, they kind of know they were both staking the place the, out. And, yes. Yeah, the game recognizes the game. Yes, All game right. recognizes game. Right. And they're older and women. What they were doing was they were stealing purses, purses. from the locker, from the gym room lockers. Yeah. They Purse were. Snatching. They started shoplifting together. And um, let me see, Helen Galay was just a. Uh, she was so happy. She taught uh, Olga, you know, her little Sue Happy ways. Right. Uh, she, Helen. Oh, she dropped game on Helen, Olga. yes. Right. Helen was raised her daughters to, um, to not marry a bum, but, or, you know, to not fall in love with and marry bums and fuck love, basically. Get an old man, give him a grip of Viagra. And yeah, bomb. an old man with money, give him a grip of Viagra, fuck him to death, and, and then, except, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, her older daughter, Krisha, she she was a little bit of a rebel at first, and so what Olga did was she you know because she had some like you know cute boyfriend that was broke, and she Helen started yeah, stalking him and his family, uh, so much so to where they had to get a, a restraining order against her, yeah. and then she sued for um, emotional, uh, what what do they call that emotional, emotional damages emotional damages emotional stress in the brain. <laughs> My daughter's gonna get with some young broke dude. Yeah, some loser. And says she wants him to go suck on some eighty-year-old balls. So, well, so, so the so the daughter did end up Some breaking up with that guy ultimately and she moved to Massachusetts where she met a 95 year old man oh the Hamptons I guess she became his girlfriend I don't know the yacht club and she convinced him the young girl convinced him to move to Santa Monica yeah. and rent one of Helen's apartments oh god and um uh, he died thing. shortly thereafter, but yeah. right before he died, it was just such a trip how he signed everything that he owned over to not his girlfriend, the, Keisha, the young girl, the daughter, but to oh, Helen. His own, he didn't his own blood. He was Oh, because as he's signing it, he was probably getting his balls licked by us. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but, so I'm they sure moved, they, they went out to Massachusetts. They sold his house for a sizable amount of money. Oh, and good. so evil bitches right here yes All right. so I don't know how the conversation came up 
maybe um, Olga and Helen, they were just devious together. Hey, I see you over there, bitch. They were just scheming. They were yeah. like, they were like the freaking, like the evil twins of like Lucy and Ethel. You know what I mean? Like just always, like Lucy and Ethel were oh, funny. Lucy was they, evil. They had, no, Ethel no, was she just wasn't. No, I'm just saying that they were just cute and they yeah, came yeah, up with silly just, little yeah, ideas. Right. Well, these two were like this, like they were always commiserating, always, you know, trying to come up with, you know, a plan. Yeah. And, and fucking Helen didn't need any more money. No, she was it for the game. And, and I, th- yeah, they're the old. What are they going to do with this? I don't know. Perfect really? It, perfect it and pass it along to his daughters. Uh, okay, well, so at some point they decided that the best thing that they could do would be to start um, going to this Presbyterian church that they noticed that homeless people were being oh, fed yeah, up homeless people. on yeah. Sunday evenings. and um, Recruiting. Olga was like, uh, she was a devout uh, atheist. Uh-huh. They, there's nothing said too much about if Helen had any belief, but I'm sure she didn't. Yeah, Come she's on. Over there in the Holocaust, you've probably seen millions, a lot of people. Die. Helen wasn't in the Holocaust. Olga oh, was. Yeah, she was she, the one that was a. She was used to that stuff. The um, atheist. Yeah. So what they would do is they would quote unquote volunteer to go Their to services. the um, to go and help make the food and, and feed it, supposedly serve the homeless people on Sunday evenings at this Presbyterian church. Yeah. However, they would conveniently show up like right when dinner was ending, and then they would just go around and and socialize. Like the, like all the homeless people would go out and smoke cigs and right. like socialize with each other after their meal. And these two old, like unassuming-looking, kindly old women would, you know, go around talking and basically... Um, uh, hunting, what do they call it? Uh, grooming, I don't know. The recruiting, uh, uh, you know, praying, yeah, praying, perpetrating, perpetrating yeah, like looking for somebody. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah they were on the hunt. Yes, they were on the hunt. The big game hunt. And all told, they they they, they 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 hooked in about eleven men, all told. But they but but nine of those men were like. Just felt uncomfortable. They smelled foul. They yeah. split. Yeah, they yeah. they, no, they were hell like, no. There was yes. yeah. but there were two that did fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker, all the way to the end. It. They were all desperate. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you smell a fucking rat, you got to go, especially if you're homeless. Right. Yeah. Well, so you know, I mean, I guess I don't know. So they were a tag team though. Who? Olga and Helen. Yeah. Okay, so their so their first victim was a man named Paul Vados, an immigrant to the United States from Hungary. Another, another so Olga probably talked to him in his, you know, in their their home language. Oh yeah, right. They, they were both from the same place. Made him feel safe. Yeah, made him believe, you know, that. Oh yeah, he was done. Yes. After his wife died in 1985, Vados moved into his daughter Stella's Hollywood residence. Stella. And. They lived together for a while, but he started drinking really heavily, and he just kind of walked away one day and never, never came. came back. Wow. Um, from 1997 until his death on November 8, 1999, Vados lived in an apartment on South Fedora Street in Los Angeles. According to the off-site apartment manager, Vados appeared to have no job and typically left the building in the morning and returned drunk in the afternoon. His apartment was filthy. At some point during Vados' tenancy, Rutterschmidt told the manager that she was, quote, in charge of Paul Vados. In charge? (laughs) 
After Vados's death, Rudderschmidt told the manager she would pick up Vados's belongings. Norma Seha was 12 years old when she lived at the South Fedora Street apartment building with her mother, who was the building's on-site manager. Seha would translate English for her mother. Vados lived alone in one of the apartments, and this little girl and her mother felt bad for him because sometimes he couldn't walk, he was so drunk, and sometimes he didn't eat, he was emaciated, so they would feed him, they would, um, when they saw that he was too drunk, they would bring him into his apartment and they would, like, tuck him into bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, Seha's mother collected the rent from the tenants. Vedos paid by money order. Uh-huh. Sometimes he delivered it alone, and sometimes he came with Olga Rudderschmidt. Oh. I know, creepy. Right? Dog, yeah. When Seha's mother noticed Vedos had been missing for approximately three days, she telephoned Rudderschmidt to tell her. Seha's mother had seen Rudderschmidt at the apartment in the company of another elderly Caucasian uh-huh. woman. Oh, yes, this old lady was with him. No, there was another old lady. Yeah. So at and seven. She didn't know, though. She didn't know that they were. Road dogs? No. Yeah, okay. The, 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 yeah, yeah. All she three of them gossip. were never together. She's a gossip. At 7 a.m. on November 18th, 19, or November 8th, 1999, Officer Lee Willman investigated what he assumed was a fatal traffic accident in an alley near 307 North La Brea Avenue in Los Angeles. The accident scene was one mile away from Rudder Schmidt's 1776 North Sycamore Avenue. <laughs> so these people like they just do it, like yeah, right around the corner from their own house. You just go to another county. Uh, you know what I mean? It was raining heavily when the officer arrived. Mm-hmm. Vedas's body was lying crosswise in the middle of an alley. He had no wallet and no identification. Yeah, robbed him. Was only robbed him probably. It appeared that yeah, he yeah. had been lying on the ground when he was struck by the car. His chest and torso were twisted and crushed. There were abrasions on his nose. And grease on his chin. Oh, he got ran over too. Well, basically, and there was no glass or any other car parts or anything. There was nothing indicating that he had been like in a hit and run right. accident. Um, what they surmised later on was that he was probably one of the women, probably Olga uh, or Helen. I don't know. Probably Brett and I are. Olga. Yeah, they don't really they know country. which one did the driving. You know. Oh, the driving part. Yes. Oh. But he was, he was, um, one of them said, oh, there's something wrong with my car. Could you please check? Oh, it? yeah, yeah, oh, sure, And oh, so sure. he was underneath the car, like, trying to fix something for one, for, yeah, for and they for slowly Olga. ran over him. They slowly, huh? Which is so that. fucking yeah. foul. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> So at 10 p.m. Plan. So look at this was on November 8th. Move, this huh? was on November 8th that he was he was he was found right. in the alley. So he right. was a, he was a, he was a uh, what do you call it Joe John Doe? Yeah. He was a John Doe. At 10 p.m. on November 17th, 1999, Officer William Fernandez took a missing person report from defendants at the police station on Wilshire Boulevard. Ritter Schmidt gave him the information. According to her, Vedos had been last seen on November 5th at 6 p.m. at his apartment. When both Olga and Helen, I guess, went to his house to help him pay for his rent. Yeah. Uh, They said that his mental condition was fair and possibly slipping. Hmm. When they returned five days later, they couldn't find him. Rutter Schmidt said that she returned after another five days and 
looked into his apartment with the manager. The television had been left on, and Rudderschmidt signed the report, the missing persons report, representing herself as his cousin. That makes sense. You know, they're both from Hungary, right? Right. They both... It's my country. My cousin from the old country. Right. I mean, he can't admit it. He's not there, so... So then, on December 3rd, 1999, Galay called. Helen called. And she said that she was a friend of the victim's family, at Paul Vados' family, and a one-time fiancé. Well, they're still fiancé. What are you, fiancé oh, two yeah. times? Yeah, two times. <laughs> to the same person? Times. I'm going away. She said that she was also a friend of his cousin, well, Olga Rudderschmidt. Well, clean that up right there. Huh? Yeah. So the officer told her, I can't tell you shit because you are not the kin. Like, you have no relations with with him, and so I can't yeah. tell you anything. Yeah, so, fiancés don't count. Yes. It's legal shit. So Dr. Louis Pena, a forensic pathologist, conducted his autopsy on November 10th, 1999. He was... Uh, Paul Vitas was 73 years old, and he had died as a result of multiple traumatic injuries, including 48 fractures to his ribs. Damn. Chest cavity was blown up, huh? The trauma to his chest was fatal. It was so deep, and, like, he was just crushed. Um, ugh. So, starting in 1997, applications for at least six policies for life insurance or accidental death insurance had been made out on Vedos' behalf, <laughs> listing either Golay alone or both Golay and Rudderschmidt as the beneficiaries. Oh, yeah, they're getting paid. Golay represented herself as his fiance and Rudderschmidt as the cousin. And she's sticking to that fiance thing. Right. Um, all told, Helen Golay paid $16,724.34 in premiums. Damn, she invested in that dude, that dude, huh? She sure did. Uh, and all told, like, there was a grip of the life insurance policies. They were paid $6 million wow. altogether. Put together for and, four of us. Well, what Helen did was that, was it Helen or was it Olga? It was Olga that, that went down. Stamps? Yes, Helen? she went down to a the Hollywood stamp company, and she had stamps made of Paul Vedas's uh, signature. And she'd have it all right there. Huh? Yes, and she also had stamps made of um, fast forward of um, Kenneth McDavid's signature. Oh, okay. And she also yeah. had Look one made of Helen's. Oh shit! She was doing dirty, huh? Yes. One step ahead. It was, you know, I guess she had to be. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's pretty... Yeah, that's like old country shit. Yeah, and see, this is what they were doing, is that they were, like, hounding the insurance companies. I mean, they were just, like, relentless. Yeah. And they were rude. I need my money. I need my paper. Yeah, like, 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 the next, like... Like, as soon as they, you know, like, oh, my goodness, he's dead. He's been missing all this time, and he's been dead. He's poor no thing. He's been a John man. Doe. I need my paper. Look, they snatched up his body, uh, uh, Olga did, out of the out of the, the mortuary yeah. and had him cremated. Yeah, it's definitely a red flag. Or he had children. He had people, right. in, you know, that loved him, that yeah. were, were wondering where the, where the heck he'd been this whole time. Yeah. You know, I mean, they just robbed them of their father, yeah, you know. I mean, who knows? He could, uh, anyway, he could have gotten 
sober. He could have, or even if he wasn't he there. He might have, too. You never he wanted know. to know. You know what I mean? Obviously, he was under the wrong guidance. So when she would go and get these rubber stamps made, her chief concern was that they look authentic, like an original signature. Well, right. does isn't that the whole point? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So uh, after they took, I think they took out 16, I think it was Helen Goulet that took out 16 or 17 Jeez. life insurance policies. Maybe that's an understatement. Yeah, this is a big score right here. On bodies, Kenneth what, McDavid. Six grand or six million? On, yes, on Kenneth McDavid. Um, so they they got like almost six million with Paul Vados. So, you know, Helen's just like, I'm going to go balls out. Yeah, no shit. I'm trying to think myself, man. You know, like six policies right? times. It, I was thinking, well, I don't know. Almost people aren't really that cool. And <laughs> no, well, so they met. Yeah. So they went to the church, you know, like they did. Pretending like they had just been yeah. part of the uh, serving. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. what assholes. Yeah, no, they're going to be volunteer, the spirit of volunteerness. They're gonna, <laughs> and they don't even they, do they, it. They show up late and they don't even do it. They just <laughs> want to talk to you. They just want to find out who has the... And so he told them know, that whatever. he wanted to be a, um, a screenwriter. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. They, they read and they were like, oh, yes, you know, we can see yes, your you talent like it, yeah. and don't give up on your dreams yeah, and let's go into go. business together. You're natural. So... That's what it was, is that they had, you know, gone into business to get business, quote-unquote, with him. Oh, yeah. Got him an apartment. We're going to build you up. On, on Cherokee Avenue. Um, and he was supposed to be screenwriting. See, this is the thing about the insurance policies that they got. They got something called term insurance policies. Right. And I guess they're, like, the cheapest kind that you can get. Right. And so the person has to be alive for like two years. Yeah. You have to be oh, paying the premiums yeah, on paid. time every month for right. two years. Bef you know, And then after that, basically the person can just die. <laughs> oh, they were running like a little warehouse of humans. Yeah, and you, stock. You, yes, and you could be... Like Wall Street stock in L.A. You could be a relative or you could be a financial yeah. partner. Pork bellies. So that's why they went into quote-unquote right. business. Yeah, I see the human pork bellies. Um, He's a homeless so, she, uh, wait, what was I going to say? What an idea. Oh, okay, so so she moves him in the spring of 2003. She moves him into this, you know, they decide to go into business. She moves him into this apartment on Cherokee Avenue. Uh -huh, little desk, little typewriter. Right, but yeah. no no cable TV. Oh, no. So, the door locks me outside. So he, lock him in there. He invited, uh, he invited these people, you know, other homeless people to move in. To the oh, apartment with them. Well, and of course he didn't want to be alone yeah. and lonely. He's got to be inspired to write some screenplays and stuff. Plus, you know, probably, you know, homeless people help each other. So he yeah, wanted to sure. help them. Not also, he wanted cable television. And so he said, if, hey, if you can move, if you can get me cable TV, oh, you can okay. move in. All right. And I he told cable. another person, hey, if you get me a landline. Yeah, I could have a phone and landline yeah. and cable. I don't think they called it a landline back then. But, right. Um, uh, I'll get you, uh, you can move in. Right. So. So next thing you know, he's got like just a group of people living in in the first trap house. He kind of made it a trap house. Yeah. So I'm thinking he might have been a little bit of a tweaker too. Right. Something going on. And not just an alcoholic. And so Olga comes over one day, lets herself in with her key without calling first. People without him, there's every, all these people. Yeah. She starts screaming and yelling right. at him, and she says this: "Listen." You know our arrangement, and that's why you can't have anyone living here. Oh, wow. She put him on blast right there. 
<laughs> bow down, you know? In front of everybody. Yeah, she put him in check. Yeah, and so this went on, like, it went back and forth like this for a couple of years. She would go to the um, uh, the on-site apartment manager, right. which was a lady named Danielle, and um, just scream and yell at her. And the lady would say, look, you're subletting this apartment to him. Yeah. I, you have to evict him. I'm not, leave me shit. out of it. In fact, the apartment manager, she got so sick of it. That she even went on vacation. Like, she just took off for a month. Oh, she split. She did. Yeah. She, it made her so uncomfortable. That's what happens when you got homeless people, tweakers, and alcoholics in one place. Well, this is the thing, is that um, he kept, he, he said he couldn't do it anymore, so he kept leaving, and then they kept hunting him down and bringing him back, convincing oh, yeah. him to come back. and walk and, away. Um, at one point, she hired, I think it was Helen, or was it Ruddershman? It was... Uh, it was Rudder Schmidt. Was it? I don't know. Who hired a security guard. Wow. Jose She's Luna. She's learning, man. She's learning. She's getting sharp. He was an armed security guard. What? To keep people out of the apartment and to keep McDavid in. Yeah, well, in. They, got some, they got money invested in this cat, man. They need this investment, man. He's worth, what, walking around maybe it's worth $60 million, maybe. That is embarrassing. No. Gotta have an armed guard for that. And everybody, all these... I don't think she wanted anybody to really know that they... I don't know why she didn't, why he couldn't have visitors. What the hell? If yeah, visitors well, are gonna, ke- if visitors are gonna keep him, him there for two years, oh, okay, fucking right. let they him have visitors. See, they weren't looking at it like that. They're looking at it like maybe they're gonna harm his investment, their investment. Or they're gonna, um, or they're yeah, they're gonna tell even... on them. They're gonna be able right. To... Oh, they're gonna try to get in his ear and say, no, hey, they're gonna sh- identify. Yeah. Yeah, like oh, like, no witnesses. When, once when he gets written, right. run Who's over. Ladies, you know, start talking about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because he had told he had told a bunch of them that, that he had signed a paper giving up for... Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to have somebody around him to help him. N- yeah, eventually, they were going to tell him, hey, you know, this is, aren't, you, aren't you worried about that? That's what his friends did say. They were like, that's right. a little weird, dude. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm guard, keep uh, his friends away. Eventually, he moved out for sure, for sure. Because he was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, no. You know? I uh, feel right. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here if I can and have you have an armed security guard telling me what the motherfucker to do. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but I have to yeah. go. I got a destiny, man. I'm a screenwriter. I'm an artist. Yeah. You know, and I'm a free spirit. Exactly. Yeah, you can't, you Come can't here and tell do me what this to, do, to lady? me. Yeah. Woman. So, uh, yeah, she would get like really belligerent and, um, she would come at all hours screaming and yelling and just being a fucking dickhead. Yeah. Olga would. Right. And, um, nice church ladies they are. So. Volunteers of the year. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I said, the apartment manager left. She was gone for a month. When she came back, she said the apartment was cleaned out. It looked like McDavid had left in a hurry. He was gone. And she's like, well, that's a trip. Hmm. Um, Lost another one. So he went on, though, for like another year. Um, and what they would do is they would hunt him down, like I said, Helen huh. and Olga, and they would have him stay in... Like a roundup. What? It's like the roundup where they brand in their cows and cattle and round them up and bring them on back. Well, they would have him stay at... Uh, uh, where would they have him stay at? Well, Motel 6. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's right. yeah, uh, the Econo Lodge Motel on Sunset oh, Boulevard. On. Same thing. Motel and Motel also at the Hollywood Studio Inn. Yeah. And it was on, th- like, they would pay for his him to stay there. Yeah, have a little talk with him. Um, on January 20th, 2004, a South Vermont Avenue car dealership, Mario Medina was the owner. 
he sold a 1999 Mercury Sable station wagon to Olga Rutterschmidt. She paid 6000 in cash, and she said that she was buying the car for Hilary Adler, a friend who needed a car. But who Hillary Adler actually was, was a woman whose purse she had stolen from one of the fancy fancy gyms, gym locker rooms. I mean, please. Uh, the, oh, it was the Spectrum Club. That was the gym that she stole her purse from. And that's embarrassing. Um, so, uh, Special Agent Todd Owen... Oninger of the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Got the feds now. Yeah, he participated in the. Um, well, so what happened was basically like they, they had these they had these two women dead to rights. Like there there's all these insurance They're policies. Two men now. killed in the same right. fucking way. Building the case. They got the FBI involved. So they they arrested them both at the same time on the same day, and when they were raiding Olga uh, Olga Rudderschmidt's apartment, they found like uh, all these these. Uh, driver's licenses and all kinds of different fucking um, identification with other people's names or, oh, yeah, the, or, or other people's names, her face or or their face. Just, you know, they just they just found a bunch of fraud. Yeah, they were just running fraud. They were running paper and fraud. Yes. Yeah. How embarrassing, right? Um, what? Cigarette? We don't have any bread. Oh, I told okay. you that you were supposed to stop and get some and you didn't. So, like, huh. you know? <laughs> Put a break. Let's take a break. I'm going to outside. Take a break? Okay. Yeah. Yay. So, basically, the police, the FBI, raid them. They find all this evidence. The women are like, at first they're like, mum's the word, I'm, I'm innocent, look at me, I'm just an old lady. Old frail woman from the old country. Right, well, Helen wasn't, but yeah. yeah. And um, so they had the bright idea to leave the two women in the uh, interrogation room together. <laughs> and of course, they didn't know that they were being filmed and yeah. recorded. And as soon as the detectives walked out of the room... Uh, <laughs> they start talking shit. Olga said to Helen, she said, You cannot make that many insurances. It's on your name. Only you have to because you did all the insurances extra. That's what raised the suspicion. You can't do that. Stupidity. <laughs> She's a straight spilled the beans, huh? Right? She just called her out, like, seriously. <laughs> the old country. I'm no lady from the old country. And so... You must tell them the truth. It was a slam dunk case, okay? They, nobody cared that they were fucking old. There's so many people came out of the woodwork that were just like, these two bitches couldn't wait to tell what assholes these women were. Oh, yeah, since they locked up, everybody wanted, everybody had something to say about something. No, they had something to say before, but they didn't. who were they going to tell? Come That's on. true. You know? Yeah. So, um, like, even the hairdresser said that, that Helen would give her, while she was doing her hair, Helen would give her tips on how to kill men. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, just what, how disgusting, right? Yeah, they were evil. They were 100% evil. Yeah. You know, and um, Kevin, or, or Ken McDavid's family, they were devastated. You know, they loved they, they loved him, and they didn't know what had happened to right. him. He disappeared. And so, you know, everybody has somebody. And people can't take it for, they, to look at somebody who's in despair or who's sick or who's um, unhoused or 
who's vulnerable in any way whatsoever, and it doesn't seem like they have. You don't know what their right. life is. Mm-hmm. You don't know who they talk to. It's true. You don't know who's that. Why did he want? Why did he move somebody in? Why did he? He said, um, "Hey, if you get me a, a telephone, I'll, um, I'll, you can live here." Yeah. Why would might. he want a telephone yeah, if he so didn't he have anyone home. to call? And he talked to his brother well, a lot at first, and then he, as the screenplays didn't come back, you know, they kept coming back, and he couldn't tell them. He kept longer periods in between the phone calls. No, but I'm saying in the last couple of years of his life. Right. Well, yeah. He, he, just he did speak himself. to his sister but Sharon. He still had. He still had family that loved him. Yes, and so did yeah. they all did. Yeah. Anybody in human is. Just, you know. Absolutely. They found drugs. They found all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. And um, and. It's funny how he's a screenplay they, writer, and the whole life he was living would have been a perfect screenplay. What I'm saying is, Drugs. is that. These women absolutely made no attempts to hide any of the evidence mm. at all whatsoever. They just thought that maybe they thought they were just like invisible, like like a little kid when they cover their eyes right. and they think that you can't see them. They probably thought they did. They probably thought they were. Okay. I'm untouchable. I'm invisible. No one's gonna. And then no one's gonna believe that I'm a killer. Yeah. I'm an old lady. Well, so you know they got a sentence to life in prison, California, uh, for California PC one eighty seven. Uh, without parole, life without parole. Um, Helen Goulet has since died. I think that she had an obituary that said Helen Goulet died. That's it? Pretty much. Um, her daughter said that... That's all she deserves. The Keisha, the, old, the oldest daughter, said that, you know, that you can't even begin to understand the nightmare that it was to be, uh, um, uh, you know, in her life and to, to know her. She's the nightmare game. that was her. She's running game. Who knows? She did get part of one of the the, um, Paul Vados' insurance policies. Okay. But so I just want to say happy Merry Christmas and um, happy holidays. Yeah, stay close to your family. Uh, Wash your hands. Six feet apart. Uh, Pandemic. We've got to get this thing down to nothing. Absolutely. You know? Um, Stay clean. Don't make new friends. Stay safe. And don't fucking kill homeless people. No, no kissing and hugging. It's don't watch, watch out from germs. And don't let the sunshine fool you. Yeah. Bye.